0: And welcome to this our second installment of Trials of the Apocalypse. I'm your host, David. I, I'm back to being a dungeon master this game, which I'm very excited for. I was a master of ceremonies for Apocalypse World, which if, if you haven't already listened to that, please go back listen to that. It's a good time. Uh, really happy with how that one came out. Uh, but today we're moving on to another game. We're moving on to Undying, a vampire diceless RPG, which I'm very excited for here to play that with us today we have i'm
1: dave and i left my big tin onk at home
2: i am uh phil the thrill and much like my thoughts of late my coffee has also been dark
3: i'm amy and it's game time
2: hell yeah uh here we're
0: gonna be as as already mentioned we're gonna be playing undying um there's lots of interesting bits to this game. I think one of the things that makes it really stand apart from Apocalypse World, which we played last time, is the fact that this is a diceless game. Uh, we're not going to be rolling any die six, any, any weirder things than that. How different situations are resolved are either through narrative discussion at the table uh, or uh, this being a vampire-centered game. We do have a, a currency of sort called blood that is a limited resource that each character possesses, uh, both PCs and NPCs. And in some circumstances, that blood will come into play to determine the outcome of events. And we'll talk about that more once we get to the moves that this game possesses. But everyone in Undying has their own agenda. Uh, You as characters, you have your own ambitions, which you're trying to achieve. And in pursuit of those uh, agendas, you have various moves that you have to work with in order to pursue those. Those moves vary depending on what part of the game we're in. Another interesting thing about Undying is the session is sort of split into sections which are uh, called uh, "nightly play," which are sort of in the action, uh, more of your traditional you know, more of your traditional moment-by-moment RPG. And then we also have something called downtime play, which is much more high level. We're vampires. This can be very long spans of time. Uh, and sort of what do you do in that time uh, to advance your agendas as well? And so we'll we should be playing both of those through today's session. We'll see what we have time for. Um, but time allowing, we should have a little bit of everything. Similar to Apocalypse World, one of the ways this game is inspired by it is uh, everything sort of organized into playbooks and moves. Uh, So each of you have already selected a playbook. I, as the DM, have my own moves uh, available to me. And the moves that are present in Undying, we have uh, basic ones, which any character is capable of. Playbook ones, which are associated with your particular playbook, your particular sort of class. And then lore, which is sort of unique to Undying, we have lore moves which are associated with how vampires work in this world. And so we'll get to have a discussion later about what exactly we want our vampires to be like. Uh, And then, of course, the final uh, type of moves being my DM moves, which are fun and unique. And we might talk a little bit about those in our setup for this as well. So with with undying, uh, there are a few central ideas uh, which are at play in this game. So generally, tonally, undying is fairly, fairly dark, I would say. It takes a fairly grim approach to vampirism Basically, vampires are hunters. Uh, All all humans are simply prey. Uh, They're almost almost unimportant to the Undying game, Uh, although they do come into the fore in certain instances. But this conflict that the vampires as predators possess between their predatory nature and their original humanity is sort of in flux and in constant battle with each other. And oftentimes that battle ends with... The vampire going all the way dark (laughs) Uh, and that that beast that lies within them, that vampiric nature taking over and making a real right mess of things because of that approach to the treatment of vampires by the undying RPG. There are a couple of really interesting mechanics that that come out of that. One of the first of those we've already sort of alluded to is this currency of blood. Uh, Blood is like your expendable power. You can collect more of it uh, up to a certain limit, which we'll discuss later, based on you feeding on, of course, people uh, as, as vampires. That's so what you do. And then you can cash in that blood to perform certain moves or in various wagers with other vampires in sort of competitions with them. Uh, and so, for example, if you're a vampire and you want to transform into a bat and do a cool thing, that's probably going to cost you some blood. Because that takes away from some of the essence which you need to recoup as a vampire, as a a hunter. Uh, And so, yeah, part of your day-to-day life, which I don't think we're going to be able to get into as much in this one-shot, obviously. um, But part of playing this game on on a regular basis involves you gotta hunt. You gotta get blood. Otherwise, if you wake up one day and you, you don't have enough blood, you will starve. There are starvation mechanics. Which, again, I doubt we'll see. But then again, with the Apocalypse World, we said we doubt we'd see the improvement mechanic, and we saw that for literally every character. So hopefully none of you starve. I'll say that instead. We'll revisit that mechanic if any of you get close to there. But along with blood, there's also this idea of humanity. And humanity is essentially your vampire. What is their disposition towards? I don't want to say they're fellow humans because you're not anymore. But what is your disposition towards your prey, towards those you hunt and feed upon? Uh, that that determines your residual humanity, uh, which is a, another core component of this game. Because you can eventually become lost, and at the point where you become uh, lost as a character, your your character is literally forfeit to the DM, and you become a monster essentially. And there are four levels to this. One is humane. Uh, this is the the highest, the most humanity you can possess. That is a humanity of three, and that is uh, humane. One of the important distinctions with the humanity s i don't I hesitate to call it a stat because again we don't roll dice particularly here, but I suppose it is a stat because it does impact the only consumable in this game, which is your blood. Humanity impacts your maximum blood, so with a humanity of three, you're capped at ten max blood. a humanity level of three indicates you are humane uh, and that means that you you tend to be. Behave pretty kindly or at least cordial before your prey. You treat them with respect and you try to avoid causing them harm as much as
2: possible. Kind of like uh, the traditional Dracula, right? I mean, when he wanders into the castle for the first time, he literally serves him dinner. Mm-hmm. Uh yes. has pleasant discourse. Yes. Additionally, your
0: humanity, which uh, your, your humanity number also can affect what when you are feeding on a person what options you have at your disposal to, to actually do there. The further down you go in humanity, the harder it is to restrain yourself from feeding wildly, let's say. Uh, the harder it is to, to keep yourself from potentially causing problems for yourself, either through indiscretion uh, or through overfeeding, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So the second lowest is Callus. Uh, that's a level of 2. With that, you get a max blood of 12. Uh, below that is Monstrous, Again, level of one, max blood of 15 on Monstrous. And then below that is Lost with humanity zero, max blood of 20. The reason that this still is listed as official, you know, sort of stats in the game is that you can be lost for one session. And if you do not recover from that by the end of the session, then you are permanently lost uh, and your character is forfeit.
3: How do you recover from being lost?
0: So uh, your humanity is actually a judgment made by your fellow players at the end of every game.
2: Mm. So
0: if if you behave uh, in more humane ways towards your prey, then your fellow players can essentially vote you as a higher or lower humanity rating uh, based on how you behave. So you can be lost and you can, like in narrative, be really trying to fight with the urges you have and try to not wreak the havoc that you would otherwise and if that sort of happens in the narrative then i would say that your fellow vampires would then say oh you know you weren't really lost on this one i feel like you were more monstrous uh and then you get to drop a bit well drop a bit on the monstrous scale climb a little bit with your humanity and thanks to that you can sort of move up and down it is it is definitely a scale you can you can travel either direction on it in play i don't think we'll probably do any reevaluation unless we want to when we first dip into the long the longer term downtime play if we move into downtime play and we think that we want to do an evaluation of humanity from our nightly play which is where we'll start then we could do that and maybe incorporate that into our our plans for the rest of the session i intend to go nightly downtime nightly that's what I hope we can fit everything in for. Uh, we might not be able to do all that, but we'll see. It'll, that will mostly depend on, on you guys and also me, I suppose. It'll depend on all of us uh, and how long this all takes. So we should keep moving. So there's humanity. Another one of the core pieces of Undying is the idea of debt. Uh, this is really important to this game because how characters relate to each other, and by characters I really do mean vampires here, Ah, uh, debt only matters in the vampire hierarchy. It only matters between predators. Predators are are pretty much the only the only characters that really matter, uh, except in particular circumstances, which again, we'll sort of talk about as we explore world building and things. But your other vampires are your rivals. They are your friends. They are your enemies sometimes. They're in between you and your aspirations in this attempt to rise up the the vampire hierarchy. And debts are a big piece of that. Uh, You will, at the start of this game, have some debts owed to other people, potentially some owed to you. And cashing in on those debts is a huge currency with getting the story to go the way you want to go. You can gain allies that way. You can create enemies that way. And it's a really big part of the game. They're broken into minor and major debts. And, of course, with each of those holding different sway. And if if somebody cashes in a major debt with you and you don't comply... Uh, you run the risk of becoming a pariah in the society, which will badly affect your character in a variety of fun ways, which sort of brings us over to status, which is the fourth and final pillar of Undying. Uh, status is where you are in the hierarchy. This affects two things chiefly. One is the, the ability that your player has to feed freely, the, the pools which they have to choose from for that, and as a vampire, getting really stable hunting grounds is going to be a really important thing to you. And then also, gaining higher status is often at the core of what your character aspires towards, what their agenda is for, right? What their aspiration is. So with that as the target, uh, status is a really important thing. And there are four distinct levels to status. Uh, one is the princep, which is the at the tippity-top of the ladder. As the princep, you have vast influence over other vampires and your hunting grounds are, are peerless. You can do whatever you want, wherever, and nobody at all will stop you. You are vampire. You are the local vampire king. Princep is very good. Just below that is patrician. There's only a handful of these. But patrician vampires, you are, you are dangerous. You are reputable. The only people who are really your rival are other princeps, unless there's some upstarts who are trying to subvert you. But for the most part, there's very few who are on your level. Your access to hunting grounds is exceptional. It is good. You you have abundance at your disposal. And so patrician is where a lot of vampires target for. Most start, and I think all of you will be starting in this game, at the level of plebeian. Or plebeian. That word I think I've heard pronounced both ways. I'll probably bounce around with those pronunciations in this game. But if you're a plebeian vampire, you... You're more of a grunt, you know? Uh, you don't have as good of access to hunting grounds. If there's ever some scarcity, you're probably the one who's hit the hardest. Well, almost the hardest. We'll get to the final one in a second. But plebeians are where most vampires are. The lowest, even below that, is pariah. And if you are a pariah vampire, that means you've done something that has got you on the fringes of vampire society. You've either really angered a princep, or maybe you've failed to honor a debt, and That led to either the princep or the local patricians rejecting you. And either way, you do not really have hunting grounds. Anywhere you go, you run the risk of infringing on some other vampire's turf. And therefore, you run the risk of causing yourself some real headaches and risking your life every time you need to feed. And so being a pariah is a real dangerous position to be in. I hope for your character's sakes that none of you end up there through the course of this game, but who knows? I, I say that. I have no intention necessarily of doing that to any of you, but, you know,
2: it can happen. I, I considered when putting my character together starting as a pariah, so it's funny that you mentioned that, but I decided that for a one-shot in a system I'm not used to, I probably shouldn't start in a position that was already going to give me a handicap, so... Uh... Yeah, in my limited reading of the,
1: uh, of the rule set it essentially, it'd be like going to D&D third ed and saying, I want to play it in PC class. Don't, don't. No.
0: <laughs> and then how status can change is dependent on two things. One, I as the DM sort of at the end of a session have the the arbitrary power that is often in my hands to sort of look at things from a bird's eye view from the sake of the story, from the world and make it make a decision on where I think your status currently is. But also, there's a mechanic in game for your status to raise for your particular playbook. Every playbook has a way to ascend to patrician status. And of course, I imagine beyond that, right? If you, if you go above and beyond what's already prescribed in there. And that's unique to every, every playbook. And so we'll get to that when we start describing those. But status is a big part of the game. It's at the heart of what every vampire uh, in this world sort of desires. And it's it's going to be at play in the, the game we have ahead of us. So keep that in mind. So, yeah, let's talk, about, let's talk about basic moves now. Uh, I feel like that's, that's where the exciting stuff starts coming in, right? What can you actually do in this game, you know? Like, are, you, are we just vampires all the time? Is that, like, all we get to do?
2: Uh, which, I mean, you say that like it would be a bad thing. Your whole pitch when you were selling this session to me was you get to be a vampire, and I'm like, I'm in. <laughs> I'm a full-time vampire, okay? No time off taken? I mean, I'm so light sensitive that I might as well be a vampire, so <laughs> I could never be a vampire in real life because not the whole not garlic thing, which we're not doing in this, but we're not there yet. We're not doing the garlic thing in this one, but uh that would kill me i I'm be able to do it. yeah, no garlic is a real killer so let's
0: let's talk about these moves these these basic moves. these are moves that everybody has access to.
2: They're not moves like Jagger. they're just basic moves
0: I mean, how good do you
2: think Jagger <laughs> is really though? I mean, he is getting up there, but uh, last time I saw him do anything, it was you know for his age, I was impressive. Well, then he's (laughs) really what we need to do
0: now is create a create our own game wherein the moves are divided by
2: basic and like Jagger. Jagger. Um, Absolutely, (laughs) we'll do that next time. If if this if this game was starting in a more recent time period than we are, we could have had Mick Jagger be a princep, but uh, this is, he would have just been born and he would have been in England still at that point. So, yeah, well,
3: who's to say Jagger isn't, you know, an old vampire. Oh, and this is just true. His, his current world. status. Yeah.
2: Maybe that's why he's got those moves. He wouldn't be in LA though. He'd be in New York, but that'd be hilarious if Jagger was a prince.
0: <laughs> I mean, he could have been in LA. You don't know. You don't know his vampire life. That's true. All right. Confirmed Mick Jagger's in this world and definitely a vampire. And definitely a princess. All right. Well, no. Well, then I can't appear. That's true. <laughs> I'm so tempted now to just find a way to insert Mick Jagger into this game. Uh, but I will perhaps refrain. We'll see. We'll see where that goes. Um, but in our, non, in our non Mick Jagger moves, a.k.a. our basic moves, we have a few things at our disposal as vampires. The first move is just wake, spend a little bit of blood every time when you wake up to a new night just one um, just, just one blood, but that is one of those things that will that is a forcing function you will have to feed eventually uh, otherwise you will run the risk of starving. Starving is if you wake up and you have fewer than three blood If you have zero blood when the sun sets, you cannot wake and you will remain in a death-like state until somehow somebody you know, feeds you one blood, or I guess a dead body just falls on your face and bleeds all over you. <laughs> I don't know.
3: Hey, that happened in Dracula Two Thousand. It, honestly,
1: fan. from vampire movies, it, it's you'd think it happens every day. They just they like fall from the ceiling. Almost sometimes. every vampire movie at some point, if it lasts long enough, will have a torpored vampire, and then oh, whoops, accidental blood in the face. Well, lots start with thieves trying to rob a crypt.
3: I believe that's Dracula
2: 2000. I think it would be a good way to, like, if, because how the mechanics of this game works, if somebody actually dropped a zero, which, my gosh, that would be difficult, but if somebody actually dropped a zero and the only thing that can revive him is Deus Ex Blood. That would be a good way for somebody to get a major debt is if they brought them blood to wake them. That would mm-hmm. be a good major debt. I
0: mean, if you give that, that person owes you their life. Oh, yeah. That, that's definitely a major.
2: Literally. I mean, hey, you guys find a
0: husked up vamp and you guys want to make a. Husked up vamp. Husked up vamp. And you want to. That is As you.
2: My, that is my new Tinder profile tag. <laughs> oh, Jesus.
0: Uh, All right. Ask me, Daddy. I'm not going to dwell on that. <laughs> uh, let's let's I'm talk trying about not too. <laughs> uh, let's talk about hunting, huh? So this is a mechanic that I think will come into play normally. And um, this is me forewarning for any of you undying fans out there, which I'm sure you exist. Usually hunting is a fairly big part of the game. It's something that you're going to be doing and that's going to have some some level of description and probably a great deal of importance. Hunting, you try to find a victim, to feed from, and then you, Based on your level of humanity and how much blood you spend in this interaction to, to get some blood, you have different options at your disposal of either like, finding a victim quickly, whether or not they are spooked by you, uh, how gentle you are, and how well you avoid the eyes of other predators, or from attracting suspicion in those hunting grounds. It's difficult stuff. But I think we're going to probably high level a lot of our hunting in the actual game just because I think we're, we want to tell a story. And unless it lends itself to that story, we'll probably handle hunting a lot more just in, in a mechanical way. Maybe do a little bit of just just some visuals of things get a little nasty for you. But uh, otherwise, we'll we'll sort of behave like normal. So there's hunting. Right. And then there's also feeding as its own basic move where this. Im- oh, actually, I think I misspoke earlier. Hunting is more determined by the hunting grounds themselves and like therefore your status, which strongly impacts your hunting grounds. Feeding and how good you are at that is influenced by your humanity. Because if your humanity is low enough, then you can't necessarily stop feeding when you want to. You might not be able to resist the temptation to terrorize your prey. You might not be able to make them forget about you. Or you might not be able to remove the sign that you bit them at all. So, feeding is necessary but also can jeopardize your situation but again hunting and feeding we'll definitely see in the course of this game um i I presume but it's not something we're going to dwell on as much as the game allows for so if that's something you're really interested in like telling a gritty story with your your vampires and like trying to make that day-to-day grind work there are absolutely the mechanics in this game to allow you to do that in a fun and interesting way Another thing that vampires are capable of, all of them are, are captivating. You can essentially mesmer peeps. You can mesmerize them, and that's partly dependent on your humanity, partly dependent on how much blood you spend. Again, we'll get into specifics if those game mechanics come up in-game, but basically you can convince prey, you can convince people to do things for you. They can do it eagerly or faithfully or exceed your expectations or uh, not be scared of you by the fact that you just told them to do something and they did it, right? So you have different things that you can encourage with that captivation based on how much blood you spend and how much humanity you have, et cetera, et cetera. You can also fight other predators. Fighting is a, it's described in the book as a ugly, desperate struggle for life and death.
1: Yeah, it's bad news, bears.
0: Avoid it if you can. Yeah, if you're, if you're getting in a fight, probably someone's dying.
2: That's pretty much how this game works. But, but the name of the game is Undying. That is true how dare you <laughs>
0: <laughs> um so should things come to blows it's going to depend on who's willing to spend the most blood who comes out of that fight and whether or not people survive is dependent on who's merciful at the end so fighting is real dangerous if you're getting into a life or death struggle you're all predators it's going to be a
2: dangerous experience i suppose the only reason you would want to keep a predator alive if you came out on top was again for the purpose of extracting a debt later, but oh, yeah. of course yep. it's a matter of determining, could this person be useful to me? Mm-hmm.
0: If they're not useful, if that debt isn't useful, I mean, who knows? Also, like, is there, is there a risk that this person would be willing to become a pariah? Like, if, if they'd be willing to, you know, accept this debt now, but then not actually stick to it later, there's always that risk too. Now, again, that is a real risk in this society, right? If you can't find safe feeding grounds, you're not going to last long as a vampire. So another uh, important one, and this is really sensible, right? If fighting is so dangerous, then you got to have some other way of resolving some things, re- resolving your problems. And what this game allows for is something called bargaining. And this essentially works as a bedding of blood. You can raise the ante by performing increasingly vam- like cool vampiric stunts. Uh, is this the flaunt mechanic? Because I was very, very eager so to see So flaunt is another one. Mechanic. We'll get to that in just a second. That looks like a fun one. Uh, but bargain, bargain is sort of the interactive version of flaunt, where you bet, a, you can bet a certain amount of blood, and then, depending on how those bets are, and depending on how it gets called, uh, you essentially resolve things without bloodshed, or at least not necessarily your bloodshed. It's not a fight. Potentially it's prey's bloodshed, depending on the circumstances. But... With the bargaining, it's essentially how do you come to a pe- more peaceful conclusion instead of, you know, stabbing, gouging each other's eyes out, and staking each other in the heart—that sort of thing. The bargaining's pretty cool. It also, like, uh, of course, with bargaining, status plays into effect. Whether or not somebody is a maker, like if they're your vampire's maker, that'll come into play. Major, minor debts, all of that. Also, I'm gonna re-record all that bit because I got bargain confused with metal. Metal is, is the mechanic that's like, that's like fighting, but not. I thought so, because, like... Yeah. yeah. And then bar, Bargain is strictly about status and, and debts and stuff. Ah, so So... Hey, David. You didn't say any of that stuff. You didn't mean any of that.
1: None of you will ever hear this. This is all in your mind.
0: Or I'll just go back and just re-record. Yeah, bar, Metal
1: uh, is... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, metal. <laughs> so in this game meddling is definitely the thing maybe just do the entire podcast like your voice to text program the text to voice program
0: hello metal is the next thing we will discuss (laughs) when you interfere
2: with another predator you just gotta like randomly mispronounce my favorite thing is i'll be driving around and the gps I don't know how, because he's he's literally a representative, and he's been a representative for years. It's Emmanuel Cleaver Two Boulevard, right down by getting mm-hmm. close to the plaza. Every time Google's like, turn right on Emmanuel Cleaver Two. What? The dude is the dude is literally a congressman. How do you not know his name?
3: Because what? it's 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 based on taking various like syllables mm. and piecing them together, opposed to recognition of oh hey this is a guy's name let me pull this name in particular
1: it's particularly funny with uh with uh, different languages with the with those programs like uh, on the way to one of our friends in california what's the street that it always gets crazy and it drives me bonkers not los reyes that's pretty easy
2: I can see uh, that, though, because, like, street. Quivira in Overland Park. Quivira is a Spanish word, and, sh- and g- GPS will go Quivira. Ah. Quivira. Calle Mayor. Oh, okay. Calle Mayor. And it says, they turn right
1: on Calle Mayor. G- g- excuse me?
2: <laughs> is that John Mayer's brother, Calle Mayer?
1: I, I believe so. Hmm. <laughs> and the-
2: and their-, their third brother, Kanye Mayer. <laughs> now, that's a heartbreak warfare
0: right there. Uh-huh. Uh so bargaining. I honestly I don't know if I'm gonna edit this. Uh <laughs> just just throw it all in. Everything just throw it all in everything we just said. They'll understand they'll, they'll is- get it. So basically, bargaining is when you you cash in your chips as far as debts, as far as status. Uh it is not the the betting of blood. That is meddling. So fighting we have meddling is fighting light where you don't want to really put the hurt on them. There are stakes at play. No one wants to necessarily kill over it right now, but still there needs to be, you got to spend something to get what you want out of it. Right. Ooh,
1: hang on. Yeah. Uh, Let's see is I think in the, in fighting, I believe both parties, they actually have to spend their blood, but in meddling only the winner spends their blood. I think is the way that works. So, or well, did they both get it? And back? I think
2: that there's also some class stuff to that because my character is a puppet master class, and specifically when it talks about in my playbook about meddling, uh, I basically don't have to spin blood if my social network is as such that I can keep my hands clean. For instance, uh, and especially depending on humanity too, like my character is actually starting out as humane, so I can actually get prey do things that are count as meddling that don't cost me any blood
0: yeah so when you when you call in a blood meddling then you both spend blood okay so so fighting with fighting the differences it is it is not a well for example it's not it's not something you can fold from when you fold in a metal you you actually so folding is the mechanic I think you're thinking of where literally you can just say I you can just do what you want here I'm out of this and you can fold, and you cannot spend any blood. But if if you are the one being meddled with, or if you are meddling with someone else, and and again, that can happen between multiple parties. That's not just one on one. But let's say there's three people, and one of them's like, I don't really care that much. They can fold out, and then they don't have to spend any blood. Aye. But if you're the one meddle, if you're the meddler or the medley, and you've made your bets, the other the other party doesn't know necessarily how much blood you've anteed up.
1: Yeah, that's that's part of the big thing. We he's, he's going to discuss that later.
0: Yeah, I presume. Uh, but then when you when you call that then you actually have to spend it and see what happens um so yeah so mechanically there are four different things you can do in a metal you can call and raise you can call and then you can fold which we've already sort of talked about and then you can also cash in your chips uh which is where instead of spending blood you can forgive uh, a debt they owe you to win again and you you can continue to call against that predator without spending any blood or debt until the move is resolved so by forgiving, forgiving the debt will essentially, in most cases, grant you the victory, right? Because a debt is worth a lot. The cool thing is uh, if multiple predators are acting together against another, then they pool their blood together for the sake of the betting, which is why you have a lot of advantage if you have numbers in this game. If the conflict escalates to violence, you do fight them instead. Uh, any blood spent uh, already has happened, and it carries forward to your bet in fight. And you can also add to your bet. In the fight move so like basically all, all blood spent until it is resolved stacks until it is resolved
2: um, which is good so I'm still a little confused actually on this mechanic of the betting with the blood and stuff mm-hmm. um, and it's probably something that I'll just see how it plays out in uh, actually in game because it's not making sense to me but I'm used to dice based systems and, and mm-hmm. systems that have like this stat is this this stat affects yeah. this stat and so a gambling thing with blood makes, doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me, but I'm sure... Well, I okay,
1: I think, so, it hasn't really come up yet, but what it is, it's hidden information. You never let your people, you, you never let any of the other predators know how much blood you have.
0: Right, yeah. I, actually, I, I didn't miss, I think I might have misspoken earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's not so much that your bet itself is unknown to the, your adversary, it is how much blood you have in total at your disposal. Should be unknown to your adversary. Okay. So Um, you don't know
1: if that bet, if if that if your opponent betting five blood means they'll go hungry once the sun rises. Yeah. Or once the sun sets the next day, you don't know how
0: all in they are. So how how meddling works? We've we've now sort of skirted all around it, but like in an interaction, let's say one person is meddling with another. First, they both have to spend one blood to meddle. You spend it; it's it's going to be gone at the end of this, no matter what. You essentially you're anteing up to this conflict. Once, once that has happened, you then beginning with the meddler, uh, you can bet a certain amount of blood. So say like I'm gonna spend, you know, I'm gonna spend two more blood. I'm gonna I'm gonna bet two more blood, and I'm gonna do this thing. So then like, what do you as a vampire? What are you spending that blood to do? That is causing a meddling action with this situation, and leaving it open for that to still be countered if that other vampire decides to do something about Mm -hmm. it. So the example in the text is like. Let's say one vampire is going off to see their their mistress, who's a human. Ooh, it's like their old flame from back when they were a human Those themselves. Those sensuous,
2: both biythi. Must spithy. be a recent vampire if they still got um, a human alive from their yep, turn. They were uh,
0: in the text, and so another person who's part of their their pack, their group, is they're both. We'll get to that in playbooks. There's a particular vampire that has a pack of other vampires, and so they're both they're both part of a pack, and one of them wants to get that other person's status. And so they're following them because if they expose that to the leader of the pack, that'll cause them to fall from grace and them to gain prestige. And so by following them, they have the opportunity to advance themselves. So they meddle. And so when they're following them at first, they they're like, I'm going to ante up, you know, I'm ante up my blood. I like catch their scent. I know that they're going off to do this. I'm going to try to follow them stealthily. And so that's like, I'm going to spend one blood to like, turn into a bat and and follow them like a drone from a distance and then the other one's like well i'm gonna i i call that and i raise you another blood because i'm instead gonna like apparate around this corner i know you're following me and i'm gonna go do this other thing Hmm. and so like that's how the interaction can go in a metal where one person makes one play one person makes another play until nobody's willing to spend anymore and you just have to call how meddling resolves is if you have the highest bet on the table you get what you want period like you you get what you want if your bet it ends up being just a match then you both get something but you also give up something from this interaction and if you fold you lose and how how those look that's mostly going to come down to to me making those decisions but i will be sort of interrogating each one of you for what you, especially if you've won, like sort of what you want really out of this, and then I'll sort of paint the picture for how that goes. Uh, and that's how meddling works. Meddling is a big mechanic. We will definitely have some of that. Uh, there, are The other two moves, basic moves, and I'm, we're spending a lot of time in this, so let's just talk about them briefly. You have dominate and flaunt. Dominate is when you, you may uh, treat prey as your playthings. You decide what happens to them. You are stronger than any individual person and stronger than many groups of them. However, if your victims are many or well prepared, you might be able to do things to them as part of dominate, but I as the GM might be able to perform a move called overwhelm a PC where there are you have to deal with a lot of of people of prey and they may draw blood from you in return. So, over like dominate is potentially useful for you or interesting for your character's narrative, but depending on the circumstances that might also be dangerous to you. Flaunting is another one of these i don't want to call it strictly for flavor because flaunting i'm sure can have an important part of of the game itself part of the narrative Um, but when you flaunt you use your vampiric powers to do something supernatural you uh, generally spend one blood and then you just say what you do this can include like superhuman strength speed allure intimidation you turn like using a vampiric ability like turning into like a bat or or shape-shifting in some way or as we talked earlier, there's a separate bit for it, but like captivating someone is you use, utilizing a vampire ability, and that requires the spending of blood. And so there are times where flaunting might be necessary for you to make the impact in the game that you want. Because remember, basic moves are how, in a major way, you interact with the story whenever you, you cause any substantive change. Otherwise, we just sort of talk around what happens, right? So basic moves are where, where mechanics really come into play. That's all the basics. Along with that, uh, I as the GM have some things at my disposal. I'm going to really gloss over these, but I can overwhelm a PC where essentially you are the humans have become aware of your presence. You seem like a danger to them. They're going to in droves do something about you and they can draw blood from you from that, depending on how that goes. So beware of that. I could, of course, introduce NPCs. I can establish rivals for you. I can establish enemies for you. I can establish a nemesis. I can brand people as heretics, if the right conditions are met. Uh, We talked about that earlier with dropping to a pariah status. If someone calls in a major debt and you don't, you don't comply, then you might get screwed by that. You might be branded a heretic. I can use my NPCs to do any normal basic or playbook moves. I have to feed my NPCs as well. Uh, I sort of do that off camera. And also, uh, I change status. And those are sort of the, the main moves available to me as the game master. Additional to these moves, we also have lore moves, which are vampire lore specific, and then also playbook moves. And so, are there any, are there any questions? I've talked a lot. Are there any questions about anything I've just said? The,
2: the uh, lore-based moves mm-hmm. uh, sound very similar to the flaunt. So, what would distinguish a flaunt from a lore-based, and does a lore-based spin blood as well?
0: Yeah, let's, let's dig right into lore-based moves then, unless there's any other questions about the basics.
1: Uh, I was just going to further talk about Flaunt. Just say that basically in ninety in nineteen ninety two's Bram Stoker's Dracula, mm-hmm. Flaunt is any anytime uh, Gary Oldman did something spooky. Yep,
2: yep, yep, yep. Understandable. That also sounds like lore, which is why I'm wondering because lore doesn't cost blood, right? Well, the difference is eh. the difference is. <clears throat> please pull up the part of the book. Um,
0: actually, I got a paper book and I didn't bring it down here for whatever reason. Um, nice success. <laughs> Uh, definitely, definitely did the right thing there. So, in discussing lore moves, we'll get to sort of, you know, w- what is encompassed by those in a second. Uh, because first, what we should do is we should talk about our vampire lore. Um, we should decide what vampires are capable of, what they, what are what things are dangerous to them, and we should establish those here up front. So there is a section in the book for lore prep. I'm gonna go to that page real quick.
1: This is actually one of my favorite parts about about this particular game is setting up your vampire lore. It's pretty great. We actually did some preliminary discussions about this in our Discord um, prior to this recording, but this is, I really like this. You can tailor your vampires to be whatever kind of vampires you like.
2: Which, of course, is nice because vampire lore has greatly, greatly changed over the years. They Uh, don't sparkle. They do not sparkle. This Is the real world where vampires burst into flames in the sun? Hello? Uh, (laughs) Although I have a feeling that uh, our Mick Jagger vampire, if he makes an appearance, will definitely sparkle, but it will have nothing to do with the fact that it's intrinsic to vampires. Uh, It looks like the way that the the rules are established, the only vampire lore that's non-negotiable is you can't really go out in sunlight because you're asleep, right?
0: Yeah, I I think the only... Well, we could sort of visit all of this, and I think we will visit all of this right now, but I don't want to say it's the only because we have to go through this section, but
1: I think a better way to put it is the only one that's constant is that something happens in sunlight. Yeah. You okay. don't want to be out in we it. You don't know what it, is. you may, I made the joke earlier, vampires burst into flames. It's a, that could absolutely be the vampire lore here, but that doesn't have to be the vampire lore.
2: And that would be very much, uh, in line with, uh, interview with the vampire yeah. where if they're in sunlight, yeah, mm-hmm. they literally, literally burst and in, burst into flame and, and turned is, to stone. It's definitely classic, dust. but there's also, uh, there's
1: other options
2: like, like sparkling
3: <laughs> <We're gonna
1: laughs> leave that that's not an option they left that out on purpose
0: so every tale of vampires has a different concept of how do vampires work and this game is accommodating to all of those because it lets you pick and choose what you have as long as we come to a common understanding here then that's what we're going to be able to rely on for this game and so the common lore moves uh, are. have a they have a really great breakdown in the book again anyone who wants to play this undying is i i think a really really well constructed rpg um like i've seen some diceless systems that are a lot more vague but undying really brings a nice amount of specificity to an otherwise you know more fireside chat sit sit back um game You you don't have a lot of randomness thrown in from the dice rolls right but one of the things that's really cool about this is they, they have a nice way to define lore moves. So the first one we're going to talk about is how are vampires made? How is baby form? I personally like the strategy of your vampires, like a person needs to be completely drained of blood and then given some vampire blood and then
2: that causes the transformation. Well, what do you guys take? That's, that's more of the uh, traditional and of course... I'm a big vampire guy. Part of the reason I definitely wanted to be in this session. You're a large vampire person, is that? I'm a large vampire person. Okay. Um, that's more the traditional, like Balkans, and of course, most vampire lore and Western mythos has its root in the Balkans and all the superstitions surrounding that. How the those vampires come to be is that a person is completely drained of blood by another vampire, and if they're buried improperly, they will rise on the third day as a vampire, and so that very much sounds like the traditional like Balkans interpretation of vampirism. But like you said, putting vampire blood then in the corpse would make more sense because if you're dying on a battlefield, chances are you're bleeding out. It's not like all the people that died in the Napoleonic Wars came back as vampires. Unless we want to do that in this universe, of course. (laughs)
0: Uh. Probably not. But I I, I like the, the like drained of blood approach, like plus the addition of the catalyst of being given vampire blood. Because otherwise, like, it'd be too easy to accidentally
2: <laughs> create vampire. Well, a good example of that is in uh, No Lovers Left Alive. Uh, in that, one of the characters completely drains a human of their blood, but they, they don't turn into a vampire as yeah. a result of that. You have to be... Well, and the language in the book is when you become a fledgling, if you will, you are a chosen, right? You mm-hmm. get chosen by the maker to become a vampire. So there has to be some intentionality in it.
0: So then I, I, I would contend that as far as establishing a lore move here... Uh, I would contend that that would require the the maker to spend some blood would as guess. well, right? Yeah, that, oh, yeah.
3: That's what I was. That's what I was going to say. As far as I think, just it being sufficient, I think it's sufficient that the predator feeds the you know spends the blood mm-hmm. to put it into someone and kill them is I think sufficient because the blood is our actual currency, so yeah. it's going to be intentional.
1: Mm. And one of the playbooks, in fact, explicitly deals with what would in uh, uh, Vampire the Masquerade be like. I believe that's referred to as uh, I believe they're ghouls, humans that are that are essentially addicted to a vampire's blood. Mm -hmm. And I'm pretty sure that's not necessary. That's not doesn't have to be necessarily limited to that particular playbook. Yeah, I think any vampire could potentially do that.
0: Mm -hmm. So then, yeah, well, yeah, I think. That's the Nightmare, I believe?
2: Yeah, I think so. Nightmare has the blood um, slaves, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah.
0: And and they have specific fun mechanics from that, but I would say any... I, that's actually one of the other questions I had was, are we going to allow the creation of ghouls sort of like vampire gruntlings that are mind like mindless-ish humans? Um, sort of feral humans that have been... You're Renfields. ...become vampire blood junkies? Like a thrall sort of thing? Yeah, like a thrall. I mean, I... I'm thinking of Helsing right now. They've yeah. Yeah. you great ghouls.
3: I w- I'd lean towards yes, just because if someone chooses to do that, they have to spend the blood regularly to keep their yeah. ghoul. Mm-hmm.
2: That sounds, though, similar to what the Nightmare does in their playbook. That almost sounds yep. like we're taking a class specific thing and trying to apply it to vampire lore.
1: We can we we make these uh as I touched on a little bit earlier. I'm pretty sure we can be kind of fuzzy about this. Like the devil has something kind of similar. Mm-hmm. I can manipulate people by using their vices against them and as mm-hmm. my character is a bookie, pretty good at that. Yeah.
3: Well, and maybe for non-nightmares you have to spend two blood, but at the same time and we can change playbooks. Mm-hmm. So it means yep. that these abilities technically are
1: this is something
3: that any of us can access. Right, right. Yeah,
1: this isn't Dungeons and Dragons. We're not locked in. I'm not a cleric who can't cast wizard spells. We're uh, the lines are all wibbly wobbly.
0: Yeah, your playbook is more due to your agenda than anything else cuz mm, mm-hmm. like what what you are aiming for and how you go about that, that's what really determines your playbook. They're more guidelines. They're more like guidelines. <laughs> The code is law. <laughs> <laughs> so so I would say I like the idea of having the potential to create ghouls. I think that's really interesting. I think for if you're if you're not of that playbook, I think there's probably some extra risks there. Yeah. Mostly that like these are not just like blind blindly adherent to your will. Like I think they're an extremely reckless thing to create.
1: Yeah. You um, have to
0: be pretty,
1: pretty. Far off the deep end. There's a reason that particular playbook is called the Nightmare. Yeah. You have to be pretty inhumane to do this to someone. For sure.
0: Uh you have to be quite you have to be quite inhumane. And with the Nightmare, I think they have a particular level of control over them that maybe your average vampire does not. Yeah. Um through practice, perhaps. (laughs) Uh so maybe maybe using a lore move like this on some sort of regular basis might cause you to become that playbook. Might might take you there in a future session. Were we to do that? So I like the idea of establishing that I think spending at least one blood to create like a new vampire. But I think the distinction we'll make there is a ghoul is still like you have not drained them of all their blood and like given them just yours. They're like an an, an, almost an impure vampire in some ways. So we'll we'll have that as creation Uh, when when a new vampire is created how like are they bound to their maker in some way like do they have to obey them that's present in some vampire lore this is a very Um, important bit here if if they go against their maker is there
2: some risk to them like like literally physically as a vampire well i think that the game really sets it up nice so that i would think that you would owe you automatically start with a major debt to your maker um i don't see why it would be necessary that you have to obey them because part of the way that this game is structured is that you are constantly in this socio-political battle with the other predators and so if you always had to do with what your maker said i presume unless you killed the maker in traditional vampire folklore you couldn't change that so i think maybe it's just you start with a major debt or maybe even two major debts to a maker but i don't think two major debts is a lot yeah two major debts. yeah it's true start off with a major debt to your maker i think would probably be i would almost be
0: tempted to make it a minor Debt instead of a major, I think it would depend on the circumstances of your death, right? Yeah,
1: I think the presence uh, of, of, of a debt is necessary. But uh, I don't know. I, I, part, having a major debt is part of the character creation yep. process. But you don't necessarily... Yeah, I, I think I agree with, with David. You don't necessarily have to have the major debt to your maker.
0: I, I think then... I think the consensus we're slowly working our way to then is more... We, we don't think that mechanically, as a vampire, you have to obey your maker no. or something like yeah. that. Yeah. There are societal rules that they have certain power over you by virtue of them having turned you. But that's like much more a social thing than it is a mm-hmm. physical yeah. thing.
1: It's not that command you you're, uh, you're, you're get and, from some vampire
0: law. And I think we'll probably, how we'll work that into the story then is just your, we'll probably have a debt conversation around that. Again, I don't know if we're going to default to major or minor specifically, right. but I think there's probably some involvement of debt there in some capacity. So, cool. That's good. So, let's talk about, let's talk about destroying vampires. We've talked about creating them. Let's talk about destroying them for a moment. So, when you destroy a predator, how do you go about that? Uh, do you, like, sever their head, uh, stuff the full of garlic... Do you put a torch to their body. You gotta,
2: you gotta burn them, burn all of it, or else they'll come back. Stake through the heart. I uh, always thought the stake through the heart was so silly because the stake through the heart's gonna kill. It kills most anything. <laughs> Turns out that's a uh,
1: that's everything's weakness. It, it killed them.
0: They must have been a vampire. It's like
1: okay. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, Phil. You go. Uh, didn't know you could survive a stake through the heart. My bad. Um, but I think I think uh, this is one of the ones where we could pick. Oh, this is essentially pick all that's applicable. I think the holy wafers in the mouth. I, I, it's it's very classic and also very dumb. Um, <laughs>
3: well, and I I think we established during our Discord session that a lot of the religious limitations and things were lore that vampires themselves had started in order to avoid detection,
1: like misdirection, which I, I love. I love yo. I'm, I'm They can't eat garlic. They can't so, stand on holy ground. Whatever you do, don't make a nice... <laughs> Never mind that my garlic I was a cardinal at one point.
0: Uh, <laughs> I definitely think fun things to establish with this are like what, what vampire lore is still known in this world to be like, oh yeah, vampires, They'll they, you can't go into your house unless you invite them in.
1: And I, I like uh, to think that one's patently false Yeah, and yeah. made up by vampires. Yeah,
0: made, made up by vampires for vampires yeah. to yeah. say like, well, like, they can't come in if you don't ask them to. So just be careful with who you ask into your house yeah yeah anyway i'm coming in to eat you so just <laughs> be ready <laughs> the, i'm just a polite one
1: i think the garlic is also another one that's just
0: yeah.
2: pure pure applesauce
3: in the mirror holy water
2: mm. yeah i'm not even sure like you could even set up in this world that there's no specific way that you need to kill a vampire they're obviously hardier than the prey but i, I think like a couple of bullets to the chest is still going to take a vampire down i would think i think uh, uh one of the
1: ones that i saw exp- i think this is a. Uh, expressed uh, pretty explicitly in the vampire diaries you need to sever the head from the heart i think that's a good succinct way of putting it mm-hmm. so destroying the heart stake through it would do the trick decapitation um, decapitation and if the stake didn't completely destroy the heart then you could have the whole vampire vampiric torpor thing mm-hmm. where you remove the stake ta da got a pissed off hungry guy um but decapitation which you know kills a lot of things
2: Mm-hmm. Obviously,
1: burning
0: work. it alive would probably take care of mm-hmm. you. Yeah, I, I think I think if you incinerate one, that'll work. Yeah, I think one of like one of my favorite one of my favorite ways to kill a vampire e. uh, is just leave that sucker in the sun. Yes, like yeah. I I think now we don't need to get into the physiology that deep, but I think there is something about the transformation that vampires undergo that makes their bodies so uh, capable of lasting. Uh, So so capable of maintaining its unlife for such a long time, Uh, whether that be some biological thing, or whether there be some curse that created them to begin with, Mm -hmm. whether there be some greater force that is at work here, something dark and magical, or dark and holy, who knows? Dark and unholy. Um, Dark and unholy. Dark and holy. Who? Oh Uh, oh. (laughs) uh, Let's get this. Make this a real Lovecraftian world, huh? (laughs) Um, No, uh, I mean maybe, but no. So with with uh, Mm. for whatever reason, the maybe, but no, maybe, but no, (laughs) well, yes, but actually no, Uh, I think no matter what sun kills you, do you burst into flame? Do you dissolve into a pillar of salt? Like how nasty is it?
2: Do you do you dust Avengers style? I
3: I like the the true blood way where the older you are, Mm, the more quicker, the quicker you go in the sun
2: fair I, I like it i like that yep i like that that's really good so yeah <laughs> you so, can do it raiders of the lost ark style where your face melts so basically <laughs>
0: do a thorough job and the vampire will die is basically what we're establishing yes. here just like, kill
2: them really
0: hard kill kill them real good oh and fuck. you're probably we, good we just <laughs> we just said we
1: have to choose what happens in the sunlight and then we didn't fucking choose what happens in the sunlight do I we...
3: thought we just did.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, I like I like the idea that the body either ignites in yeah, in a like that, in a way personally. or like hyper. I sort of think I'm uh, not Raiders of the Lost Ark, but when he drinks from the wrong cup, oh right? and, yeah, chosen uh, that was yes. the last crusade. Holy. yeah, last crusade, yeah. where he drinks from the wrong cup, co- cup, and his body just like hyper decays. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I think that would also be kind of cool. I kind of I kind of um, like the hyper decay. Yeah, should we go
1: hyper decay instead of flames? What do you think, Hun?
0: sure and then the speed at which that occurs is dependent on how recent of a vampire you are mm-hmm. i like that element that's really cool um, Yeah. also Ooh.
1: half of the fun of playing any vampire game is, of course referencing every vampire media that you oh, yeah. like <laughs> we, <laughs> we've already started we, we've fucking <laughs> name dropped at least like half a dozen <laughs> uh and this, i'm not sorry
3: wait does does that mean that some vampires have special abilities that's because, you know, we've already said that there's no sparkle. So if we're taking from all of them, that would include the Twilight Saga.
0: Gross. Gross. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think all vampires do have some crazy shit they can do. They it, just take a certain approach just, with that. It's just
1: folded into flaunt and in our, yeah. our skills.
2: So, so, so we're establishing, you know, how vampires created, how you kill one. Hmm. Uh, the, my initial question was, what do you distinguish between vampire lore moves that all vampires can do and a flaunt? Okay. So a flaunt is like
0: your basic move utilization of a flashy vampire skill. I think that's tied to lore, broadly speaking, but there are also specific lore moves where there's a like, definite and repeatable trigger uh, and there is a tangible, repeatable consequence. So, for example, one could be death. Like, de- death is a lore move. Like What is vampire death? Well, we've just discussed, if you leave them out in the sun, they will die. If you sever the head from the heart, they will die. So that, that is an example of a lore move. Death is a lore move. Mm.
1: Uh, Basically, in my understanding, a flaunt is you acting on the world. A lore move is the world acting on you.
0: Uh,
2: that's, I think that's a fair way of
0: putting that.
3: And like we discussed in the Discord session, I believe we wanted to keep the lore move having to do with the impulse to count objects.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, I, think, I, think we, I think what we decided is that that's a some vampires, yes, some vampires, no.
0: Yeah, I I think I like I really like the idea that the vampiric transformation, because with that when you, when you drain a body of all of its blood, you are starving the brain of oxygen. That it's what you do. That's that's one of the reasons you die from that. And so this kills the human. Yeah, this this does kill the human. And so I think depending on how gently that process is done, you can cause some damage. I think that's maybe why some vampires come out a lot more callous just out of the gate than others because. They, that part of their brain that was really good at that relationship building, that core part, is just sort of fried. And so, in a similar way, I could see some compulsive things that are that are often can be tied to some uh, some neurochemical issues. I believe that some of those coming about as a part of vampirism is probably a common thing, depending on on the conditions under which you were made. So, I, I also just think that's sort of like a fun flavor that. Some things that, that resulted in, you know, uh, vampire lore in the world-building sense, some of those have some merit, even if they're not entirely true. Like, maybe the garlic thing is because one vampire just, like, really didn't like garlic. And
2: it they stinks were, so bad. Oh, my God. Get it away from me. Now, one thing we had discussed in the Discord was how we, the running water thing we decided we liked that but that we weren't going to explain why it was a thing it's just it is a thing i, I think it's
1: uh, the, this is one another one of the lore moves we're 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 saying we're basically, we're telling you that there's all there's lots of options inside there and the ones that we liked um i my vampire is personally a counter uh compulsive counter so if you were to spill your mustard seeds as we all carry around from day to day <laughs> um he would feel compelled to count them though of course, I could just spin the blood to flaunt and count them at a glance. But uh, I think we agree that something that all vampires have is an almost phobia of running water. It's just irrational. We every predator knows they're not going to die if they fall in the water. They'll just get wet. But there's just an irrational part of the brain, and they get swept out the sea, and they can't make it back home, and then I'll and then I'll die in the sun. And it's just it makes every every predator super nervous around rivers um fast moving streams and the like
0: yeah in the same way that humans are sort of baked in scared of the dark baked in uh fearful of heights in a lot of cases uh, that's sort of an innate for a lot of people i think for vampires they just and there are some people too who are scared of the water usually that's more event related but like vampires just like if if there is if there's moving water for whatever reason that just fucking terrifies them and of course, that doesn't mean you can't get around it in some way, but like that is going to require some tangible effort on your part because uh, you don't like it. You just don't like it. No vampire likes it. Every, every, everybody hated
2: that. Like, Human, humans, <laughs> humans love the advent of indoor plumbing. Vampires, on the other hand, that's just running water. As it's a pl- in my walls. It is in my walls. <laughs> but that's that, the thing. that's I, out of sight. Yeah, of that's mine. out of sight. <laughs> yeah. Until somebody flips the shower on, right? I think that'd be funny if like vampires don't kill people in showers or try not to just <laughs> <It's> running water. <laughs> I think I think it's more flowing than it is Yeah, flowing like showering. I, I, I feel we like don't a shower, freak out in the rain. Yeah yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. I In fact I'm sure vampires in many ways. And in fact the rain. if so, if
1: someone says to him, Well, why are you fine with the rain and not fine with rivers? Fuck
0: you, that's why. <laughs> or it'd be like, Why do you like sunrise, but you're scared of the dark like <laughs> come on it's still dark ish it's still wet ish yeah it's not the being wet it is the running moving water I, that, that's sort of us hashing out a lot of the little things that we like about vampire stuff Yeet. let's go through some of these other important ones real quick so with decay um when a predator is destroyed its body does what what happens to the body does it is it just a body i i err to that side because that makes vampires a lot less noticeable in the world fair if they die and they have bodies like, Nailed. they have, like, some really fun, like, it disintegrates, just disintegrates, leaving sun. only chalk. It congeals into a pool of blood and viscera, True blood. or it desiccates into a mummified corpse. That's
1: what we decided happens in the sun with us.
0: Yeah, that's pretty much what happens in the sun. I like the idea of, like, if you, otherwise, if you kill a vampire, it's a body. Like, yeah, it dies. I agree. Like, now, if you take that body out into the sunlight... Then you're like, oh, my it God. Might, it might decay in a fun and interesting way.
2: Yeah. But otherwise, I think it's just a, just a body. Well, if, if a vampire is killed not by the sunlight, if a vampire is just killed... Yeah. I think at that point, since we decide it's just a regular body, they stop being a vampire once they're dead. Once it's in the sunlight, it's already just a body. I don't yeah. think anything can okay. happen. Yeah. Uh-huh. Let's yeah, I'm inclined oh, yeah? for mm-hmm.
3: that one. All right.
2: I'm I'm totally on board,
0: as long as we have quorum. Uh, so then, next one they have here is uh, Hinder. Are there things that they're adverse to? So we've already talked about running water. We like that one. They list here all the other ones we've said no to. Garlic, holy symbol, consecrated ground, entrance to a home. Because yeah, I think all those are just more they're things that people believe to make them feel better, mm-hmm. uh, or the things that vampires spread to say, like, "See, I'm not a vampire. I'm eating this pizza covered in garlic. Om nom nom nom. It's delicious."
3: And to make the humans uh, feel better.
0: Although getting to eating and drinking, yes, we'll come back to some of the other ones on here. But for eating, can vampires eat? I I think I think uh, I like the uh,
1: basically food turns to ash. Mm-hmm.
2: So so mm. well, let's let's take that as one. We, we as can, one but it,
1: but it's gross. I,
2: I think that it just in order to keep cover with the prey it may be necessary at times to eat and drink so i was just thinking of that on the way over there's a couple options in there yeah Mm -hmm. i do i love and i love not for this game i love just for the purpose of the vampire lore in general that food turns to ash in the mouth i love that i I mechanically in this game i just don't know how that because that could blow your cover real easy real quick i would think I mean, it
1: doesn't, like, poof the moment it passes your lips. You chew it up, you you don't taste anything, all you taste is ash and decay, a reminder of what happens to you should you step into the sun.
3: Or, in line with the mechanics of the game, perhaps if you eat or drink normal food, it costs you blood. In order to Ooh, to do that, hmm. so the, that the in game. order to keep up that appearance, if you're doing it in order to hide the fact that you're a vampire, you're expending that energy, and that energy... Because
2: you do have the benefit of, you're only going to be out at night anyway. Most people are not eating when the sun is down. They're drinking sometimes, because of the context, but they're usually not eating or drinking much when the sun is down, so you wouldn't have to necessarily do it, but I like what you're saying, that you may have to spend the blood, because you eat blood, you don't eat... <laughs> I actually I
0: really like that I like the idea that if (laughs) I'm I'm saying bummer
1: because uh, in a play session we will tear through our blood at breakneck speed and that's another sink that we have to worry about potential that's true
0: now I think that's one of the ones that's probably not going to come out in a in a time where you're also spending a lot of blood in a wager or something like that Mm -hmm. this is more like if you're trying to blend in with some people people Mm -hmm. to do a thing um
3: but I I like it cuz it takes I understand the, it. it gives a negative which you guys are trying to to add on there but it puts it in context of the game.
0: I understand and, it. and specifically like if your vampire physiology is designed to take in blood and convert that into your power right then taking in something else you might be able to do that but it's kind of like if you if you, as a human, ate styrofoam packing peanuts, you can do that. Um, it's going to give you a bad tummy, and so if you want to avoid those adverse reactions,
2: then you gotta you gotta use something up for that. So I like the idea that maybe, yeah, you spend you have to spend a little and, blood. And I, I see where your interpretation is coming from. That we're already gonna be. That was my concern too when I saw the wager mechanics. I'm like, we're gonna be blowing through some blood. Wager mechanics uh, takes blood. Yeah, our special abilities take blood. Getting blood takes blood. Takes blood. Uh, but, literally everything takes blood but like like was just pointed out you're only going to have to do that if for some reason you have to maintain cover yeah. with prey I think it'll be infrequent enough that it wouldn't be a problem
0: Or and, and we might even like so we don't double dip if you're in a wager situation where for whatever reason like maybe blending in with people is important um, maybe you're wagering of like adding another blood if you're anying up uh, if you're adding another blood uh, if you're raising the the bet by another blood Maybe that is you
2: eating human food around humans, in order or to or in. Uh, the aning itself. You're already spending a blood. We could work yeah. that mechanic in because yeah,
3: because yeah. you mentioned that in that we would be wagering a blood, and you you know to turn we would then narrate that it's to turn into the bats.
0: So I think then what we can consider this is either something that if you're doing it independently would cost you a blood or it's something that in conjunction in if you are doing an activity already that's going to cost you blood it might be something that is the reason that's costing you blood narratively so i like that let's do that for eating we'll sort of think of that as for eating and drinking Mm -hmm. uh, like regular things obviously not drinking blood that's that's the good stuff at the beginning of the of the book it describes like blood is like man blood is blood is eating it's drinking it's fucking it's everything man it's so good
2: that was the literal language he's not exaggerating uh,
0: unless you're a sensualist that's true then those things are also those things well at least the last one yeah
2: um yeah yeah actually
0: <laughs> let's talk about the last one on here that we haven't talked about which is slumber basically can you be awake during the day let's talk about that for vampires are you forcibly only awake during night hours, or is that just the safest time of day for you? If you are awake during the day, are you lethargic? You know, what's going on with that? Hmm.
1: And this is, where for, this is where I'm differing from my companions here. I think it makes way more sense to spin blood to continue to, to stay up late, essentially, rather than spin blood just to eat. Just to imbibe.
0: I mean, as, as DM, I'm like, what? por qué no los dos, I'm just saying.
1: Because we're already sinking so much blood into well, don't simple eat. existence. No, I... <laughs> I'm, and I'm, I'm actually... With- By the way, what were the other options? What, what, what were the lore moves for eating? Because we didn't uh, discuss so, so a e- eating single just one.
0: had, uh, it, it tastes like bitter ashes of wormwood and lye. That was my choice. Or it tastes like styrofoam packing peanuts and rots in your gut. Yep. So, but I personally, especially since we went real light on our hinder ones, like garlic, holy symbol, consecrated ground, entrance. Those are all things we could have said, yeah, all those things are true. So since we weren't real light on those water,
2: and it doesn't hinder you, you just have a yeah. Yeah. I I don't mind no, going a little hinder. stronger. That's, that's what it means by hinder. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. yeah. But I, I don't mind going a little harder on that. Um, I think we're still staying pretty balanced with our lore. So I think with slumber, I think the opportunity for you all to be awake during the day is advantageous to the story. I think it's useful because people are around during the daytime hours. I would hazard that if you are awake during the day, you. I think the thing I would put on that is vampires can't do vampire shit during the day. You can you can be up, and that's probably going to cost you some amount of blood just to even stay up, because otherwise you you need that rest. But I think like you cannot flaunt. You cannot do. You are a normal ass person during the day. Angel burst into flames. Uh, Angel person into flames in the sun. I hate being
1: ass person.
0: You're a normal. I mean, <laughs> what other word? You're hey, a no. You're I, a
1: that's my fault that's blame xkcd one wow. of their com, one of their earlier comics uh this when people say blank hyphen ass something i like to move the hyphen to the to between ass and the other word and so instead of a normal ass person it becomes a normal ass person
0: well i i was trying to think of like where, where do i go next with that joke how do i bring it to the next level <laughs> uh and my answer was you can't it's already perfect uh and
2: so (laughs) yeah i i could see i i i like the idea of no you don't have to be asleep during the day i'm just trying to think of how how advantageous it would actually be to be awake during the day if getting in sunlight you're bursting into flames
0: so let me let me offer this to you i know
2: phil that your character you intend to
0: play a psychologist yes and specifically you have stories that you've mentioned that you think are like that you think would be fun to have as in his backstory of him being like a witness on the stand mm-hmm. to get people, sometimes vampires, off on charges by claiming they were insane and by mm-hmm. backing that up because you're a psychologist. When did court sessions yeah, happen? During the day. <laughs> I think vampires being able to interact with people during the day is useful for the types of vampires who are in some ways integrated into, a, into the human society. And I personally think that gives us a lot of ground to tell interesting stories. Because this whole, like, the whole predator among, among you, that's something that's central
2: to the original vampire tales, right? And as, as long as you're not exposing your skin, like, because we've already established if you're in sunlight, your body's gonna rapidly decay, and very rapidly if you're an older vampire, so how do you avoid that if you're out during the day? Well, okay, this, this sort of brings me, this sort of brings me full circle on the sunlight thing, honestly.
0: Like, I I almost wonder then if sunlight just sucks if it's sort of like water where it sucks for vampires in various ways and maybe even has some extra nullifying stuff, but maybe it doesn't kill them. Like maybe it, I, the, the question is how. Here's the here's my problem. One of my problems with moving vampires to sort of a modern day setting like when it's in old timey times news didn't travel very fast and when it did it was mostly hearsay anyway and like. But but let me let me give you this. Let's say there's a vampire, and somehow they end up fighting in a world war. Outside, they're dead. Like well, what? Are they wearing like a wide ass brimmed hat, to have every inch of their skin covered all the time? I call bullshit. Like there's no way they're gonna be able to do that and not look totally out of place.
1: I say let's look. Let's revisit the the uh, sunlight lore move section and see what suggestions they have there.
0: They only had die. <laughs> They only had that. I thought for sure that they had more than that. Or no, actually, so they didn't. They didn't actually have a section for sunlight. They had a section for destroy, and one of those uh, options was sunlight. Sunlight. Um. So I, I would so say it's not obligatory. Since we're actually being pretty generous with how how you can kill a vampire, like just just do a thorough job, and they'll they'll probably die. Like. Mm-hmm. You, you do the things that would normally kill a thing <laughs> like, they can't just bleed out like that's the only thing that they can't really do they'll heal or vampires are immortal asterisk yes they're immortal asterisk uh, they're immortal without further steps taken uh, and they're powerful in different ways right so if we're going to go that route then I almost wonder if for the sake of telling an interesting story and for the sake of like having a real genuine proposition of vampires being able to be integrated into a modern ass society and still not be known like come on um, you can only wipe so many people's minds. I Unless would show the men in black. Well, I guess that's the other option, is we could say vampire society is just real men in black. Like they've been wiping minds for a long time, they're gonna do it for a long time past. I I think doing things during the day is not something that we're probably gonna do a ton of. But I think especially like if your character has a background of interacting with people a lot, a lot of interactions happen during the day. People are diurnal
2: that's well, the word I think right it, yes it, it needs to cost blood and i agree yeah. i agree that you can't have vampiric powers during the day i think i think you have to spend another wake blood essentially i think yeah. you have to spend maybe
0: maybe even two
2: to be up during the day because keep in mind
0: you're not going to spend any more blood during i, the I day always
2: because thought you can and i didn't want to mention it but since stuff. we're talking about, i didn't want to mention it because i yeah. didn't want to challenge literally how the rulebook is set up I thought the wake blood thing was dumb anyway. Uh, for this very reason, you have because, to eat. Well, yes, yes, I understand that. Okay, but. Um, <laughs>
1: Slumber deals explicitly with vampires in daytime. That's what Slumber is. I know. That's why we're talking yeah. about it. And options in, inevitably succumb to a dreamless sleepless state. States are awake th- during the day, though lethargic, weak, and easily overwhelmed by prey. That's the uh, no yeah. vampire powers, um, or may will themselves ambulatory during the day by spending one blood per waking hour.
0: I think that's a little harsh. It is very harsh.
3: That was the thing that came to my mind first.
0: Because <laughs> <laughs> here's the, I think, I think that is very harsh. Oh, yeah. I would say maybe a combination of that one and the one above it. It does cost you a blood to essentially, for, for every half of the day that you are awake and doing things mm. that's going to cost you a blood whether that be at night or be that during the day in the same way as a person you still use up your current stash of stuff to be awake and doing things mm-hmm. so i think i think that makes sense no matter what you're burning a blood mm. um i think i think then the extra caveat for daytime is you are lethargic you are a you're a normal ass person except for the fact that you're immortal <laughs> i always show up in court tired yeah <laughs> i like that and what i What I like about doing that that way Eh. is that gives us lots of options for, like, how we could exist. Like, what kind of a life your vampire could still lead. I feel like that means you can't
2: pray during the daytime. You cannot. Nope. You can only
0: feed at night. Uh, No, exactly. You cannot do vampire things during the day. During the day, you're just a
1: Joe-ass person. Mm -hmm. I'm just going to keep doing that. I apologize. (laughs) This is my fault. I ruin
0: everything. Most of the time, you just want to sleep during the day, I think. But that, but that, the it. reason why I say that that might affect how we are treating sunlight is, hey, guys, it's really hard to avoid the sun in Los Angeles. It's super hard. Hey, that oh, was yeah.
3: my line.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. This our little game is set in
0: L.A. Yeah, uh, we're, we're almost to setting. We're almost there. Uh, lore is just a big, big thing of this game, right? What? what? I, my My argument would be. I think when this like vampires don't like the sun in the same way that vampires don't like running water. They don't like being out in it.
2: And I, I think uh, adding the caveat of they're lethargic, they can't pray. Yeah. They don't. They can't have. I think that's true in daytime no matter what. Yeah. They can't have vampiric powers and they have to spend the blood to be active during the day. I think are all. I think that all works. I think, I think maybe. I mean, that could work. We might come to a sort of a compromise there for every
0: hour. Like, for if, if you're awake during the daytime, you have to spend the blood. For every hour you are, like, physically exposed to sunlight, you also spend the blood. So, basically, being awake and in the sun unprotected as a vampire could result in your very swift demise
2: if you're uncareful.
0: Mm. But, essentially, you have a longer, much longer timer.
2: So, basically, traveling in between places in the day is the problem. Because if you're inside a building, like, for instance, we talked about how my character yeah. would be in court a lot because he's a criminal psychologist, then... Getting to the courtroom is a problem, but once you're in the courtroom, which is yeah, where you spend most of your time, exactly.
0: Or and I think even
2: like it's, it's still
0: like direct sunlight, right? Uh-huh. If it's a, if it's a really cloudy day, not that there's a ton of those in L. A., then yeah, you're you're fine. But I think if you are in direct sunlight, every hour you're in sunlight, you are you're you're burning blood. Your body is having to mm-hmm. is having to regenerate for you. I think it is dangerous to you, but it's not obviously you're insta dead. Mm-hmm. Like it's not that. But I do think staking a vampire and leaving them out in the sun to die is an effective and intimidating tactic for killing a vampire. It just is more time-consuming than they instantly die when the sun breaks on them. Okay, I think that covers all of our lore, predominantly. If we run across anything else, we can always hash it out during the game. But I think that's everything we'd sort of discussed leading up to it, and all the things that the book wants us to discuss now. So those are the conditions of our vampirism. Keep that in mind as we play our game. It's... It's one of my favorite features of this is being able to like mechanically build in how vampires work for your setting for your for the story you want to sell. For anyone who's listening who's interested in playing and dying you could disagree with everything we just said you could want to go completely different vampire mechanics and this game absolutely supports that just as valid. Yep totally just just as valid a way to play it personally I do absolutely love the vampires can't go in places that are not invited I think that's so incredibly fun a mechanic. But I think for this game, that doesn't quite suit our needs. So we're going to avoid that and, and all the other ones we mentioned. But let's talk about our playbooks now. We've hashed out lore and lore moves uh, and what those sort of look like, how those affect you in the game. Let's talk about playbooks now. We started over. You, do you want me to start again with you, Dave? Or you, you've been sneezing a lot.
1: Uh, it's been a high allergy day. Ugh.
0: Do you need some allergy medication?
2: I have some. Uh, no, I'll be fine. <laughs> you do not sound like a person <laughs> who will be. We fine. could just take a plunge into his face and just, just wow the temerity. Pull it all out one snort at a
0: time. God, that sounds that's disgusting. Horrible. That's Why would you do that? Horrific. To us? Now that's uh, a part of us, he did this to you guys. <laughs> I was trying to be nice. But let's, let's talk about playbooks. And Dave, you're to my left. So I guess I think we'll just go in the same order we announced everybody in. So your character is duke tell me about duke and then tell me about your playbook all right i believe amongst our
1: little group that uh, duke is the youngest closest to the uh, original vampire the masquerade uh, imaginings duke was turned relatively recently um while as when he was uh, bootlegging in chicago shy town and so this would make him he's only been a vampire for a couple decades and this is the, he's uh, moved to Los Angeles because this is the first time he's had to move because um, he's getting to the point where people will notice he's not aging.
0: Yeah, I should mention the start of this game is going to be 1947 Los Angeles. Yeah. Let me put that out there. Put that in the world.
1: After the war.
0: So, yeah, you got turned. You are now in L.A. because you've, your signs of your aging, were, or rather your lack thereof, uh, yep. were becoming a parent.
1: What playbook is Duke? And so Duke is the devil, as someone who's always been good at numbers, and uh, with his experience in the, the First World War leading to him being very good at bootlegging, he is a devil. The devil playbook focuses on uh, feeding on and feeding off of vice and sin. So he's now a bookie in Los Angeles. Prohibition's over, so that line of work dried up pretty quickly. Being a bartender is okay, but a bit too visible for him. But a bookie, gambling's not especially legal. And it's high profit, gets you set up, gets you the connections you need, and gives you a ready supply of uh, of hapless prey. He's a bookie that doesn't break legs. He invites you into his office for a stern talking to. And sure, some of those people have nightmares afterwards, but that's just part of the game. So the devil is pretty fun. The devil actually has significant advantages. If it comes down to fighting against other predators, the devil is probably going to win. They win in ties, and if they spend five or more blood, they are treated as though they spent one more blood for determining the outcome.
0: And what are the conditions in which you become a patrician? Uh, Patrician. I think uh, the devil's is the most straightforward. The
1: devil's is the most straightforward. My patrician move is regicide. When I destroy patrician. I take their place straightforward and to the point. So the devil is, uh, is like half manipulation and half straightforward skullduggery.
0: It's a pretty fun. It's a pretty fun playbook. Is there any other details that you hadn't already covered
1: along the lines of the, of the, of the feeding on and feeding sin, uh, bad company is the devil's other move where I can spend blood to get my, my sinful hooks into someone. I got what they need. And I, I make sure that, that, really sets in and it becomes all they can think of like a junkie and so my prey I can demand something that they can do and they'll gladly do it and I spend blood and uh, they stick around I feed their need oh yeah for now
0: for now and that's our, our boy Duke, uh, Duke, Duke does, does Duke have a last name so uh, he's chosen Smith Duke? it would not do a whole lot of good
1: to uh, avoid people noticing you're aging and keep the exact same name he's keeping his given name and he's changed his last name to Smith because no one's going to blink twice at Smith in
2: America. No one's going to notice another Smith. Phil, who are you playing? So I am playing Dr. Soren Klemek. I am a psychologist that was in New York until recently. I was called to L.A. by Amy's character. Uh, she owes me a major debt and she's looking to hopefully pay up on that because of how I become a patrician. And I'll talk about that in a second. And so my class is the Puppet Master, and the Puppet Master, as you might guess from the name of the class, is focused on manipulating things. They're not so much the confrontational, stabby-stabby sort of people. Instead, they prefer to manipulate things to their advantage, and one thing specific about the Puppet Master is that they actually focus on how they interact with their prey. And so I would imagine that it would be difficult for a... uh, puppet master to be anything but humane or callous as far as that's concerned your playbook would switch very quickly because it's very much manipulating your prey in fact one of the moves of the puppet master uh, specific to their class is that they can use their institution the prey institution that they work through to be able to meddle with somebody else so i could get my whatever i end up using for an institution which we i think we established it was the League of Decency, which still existed at that point in the history of Hollywood, to be able to meddle in the affairs of a vampire and not have to dirty my hands in that whole endeavor. How the puppet master becomes a patrician is by having one major debt owed to them from a princep or a major debt owed to them by two or more patricians, which is part of how I get dragged to LA from New York is because Amy's character who owes me a major debt has reason to believe that her getting escalated. If I help her become a patrician by however it is that her character's class does it, that means that a patrician now owes me a major debt, and that gets me on the way to becoming a patrician. And when was uh, Soren originally turned? Soren was originally turned in 995 A.D. He was turned in Liefspedir, which was one of the villages in the Vinland colony established by the Vikings.
0: Yeah. So he's he's been a vampire for a long time. Our our boy Soren. I should get nameplates for you guys over the break when we, when we break for some food later, we should do some little folded nameplates. That'll make life so much easier for me. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, what can you, can you describe for me? So you talked about your patrician move, how you, how you go up the ladder. Can you talk a little bit about mechanically how your move for manipulating people
2: works? Sure. So the, the exact text for that, it's called pulling strings. And I'll read the little blurb it has. When you meddle in the affairs of other predators, you still spend blood, but you may use the enterprise you control to meddle by proxy instead of dirtying your hands. When your minions make the move, they take the brunt of the fallout for you, putting your enterprise at risk. If the GM decides your enterprise is overburdened or harmed by your meddling, the GM may add new liabilities or eliminate assets. Okay, cool. So that playbook really
0: gives you a a bird's eye view and tries to limit your own personal liability. It's... Very, very much the classic manipulative vampire, uh, which, is, which is also very fun. Uh, Amy, uh, and, and actually before we move to you, we'll talk about the debt and that what happened to incur that debt once we talk about debts in the actual character creation bit. So Amy, what's your character? What's your playbook?
3: So I'm playing Annie. That's her American name. She is a sensualist. So she has a tendency to join or start sex cults or run brothels. She was originally an Amazon in ancient Greece. She doesn't even remember how old she is. She doesn't really care. She's kind of in the moment, more interested in her next party. And the centralist is more interested in sex, drugs, and rock and roll. She may have been responsible for some of the witch trials in several continents. So she always has a a gathering or clique around her. They want something from her. In the case of in Los Angeles, she runs a high-class brothel. Those who gather around her give her offerings in the form of sex, drugs, secrets, worship, or protection and troubles her move is wrapped around your finger when you meddle with or are meddled with by a predator who owes you debt you may cash in your chips without spending debt they're wrapped around your fingers and then for status
0: and actually i want to talk about that just briefly because that is it's actually a really cool thing is that In a situation where you're meddling and you want to invoke debts instead of spending blood, you don't actually spend that debt in order to do that. So in any sort of circumstance where meddling is happening and debts are owed to you, you have a distinct advantage, which really makes it hard for anyone to meddle with you.
3: Yeah, I get get to just remind them how I saved them that time.
2: They're like, all right, well, I guess you did do that. She's that that person that's always bringing up, yeah, okay, but you remember that one thing years ago that... (laughs) Remember when I got you what you needed? I was there for you a couple centuries ago.
0: <laughs> you remember and, that really good sex cult we did? <laughs>
3: <laughs> and, and admittedly, pre-game, I've yet to come up with a debt that is owed to her, but I would like to so, do that during well,
0: we'll, Yeah, during, we'll talk about debts so, here in just a minute.
3: I mentioned only because of the relationship yeah. map. Yeah. And then status. Uh, she can become a patrician. When she triggers the bacchanal move. The bacchanal is when you host a social event for predators that makes a spectacle of prey. Blood, sex, revelry, the more debauched, the better. You gain patrician status, and the other patricians become your rivals. And the current patrician, who is the least liked, is then demoted.
0: I, I like or. to think of this as the Gatsby move. You just throw such a banging party that everybody's like, nah, they're elite. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, that other guy, we never liked them anyway. Nah, this, this person, they, they can get it, you know what I mean?
1: For reference, listen to the song by the Planet Smashers, Super Orgy Porno Party. That's a song? It's an actual song. It's from back in the 90s when we made the mistake of thinking that, uh, that Ska slash Swing was a great idea.
0: Mm. Oh. Uh, actually, that reminds me, there's a, there's, hey, a ninja, there's a Ninja Sex Party song, too, that's along those lines. I can't remember the name of it right now. That doesn't surprise me. Uh, the
1: video for the, for the song is Claymation and Wildly Amusing.
0: But yeah, so those are, those are our three primary characters we're going to be having as, as PCs in this game today. All... Talk a little bit about the uh, overarching relationship map and sort of the foundation of the city that you guys are going to be interacting in in today's game. And then we'll get to conversations about debts uh, as we need to establish those for your characters as well. We'll also talk about your your feeding grounds and establish some of that stuff. But again, we are just for the sake of time in order to tell a good story through this. We are probably going to go a little bit light on digging too deep into the feeding ground stuff. Uh, even now in our setup. So, first, just to give a high level of the lay of the land in Los Angeles, 1947, where we're going to be starting our game at the top of our vampire organization here in LA, you have your princep. His name is Walter Jean. Walter Jean is well known and extremely intimidating. He has been the princep in Los Angeles for, like, in, in specifically Los Angeles pretty much since the city started, like started to become a bigger city. He moved in to the territory around that time and he's remained uh, as the Princep ever since. Walter is a vampire who so dislikes interacting with humans as anything other than prey that he doesn't particularly participate in that society at all. In fact, if, if you were to meet if you were as a person to meet Walter Jean on the streets of L.A., you would think he was, like, a homeless person. Oftentimes, if people have meetings with him, you'll meet him, like, under bridges late at night. And he does not dress fine. He does not He does not have the air about him of someone who has power in the human world, but in the vampire world, he reigns supreme in this area. He is, uh, as is often the case with people in this level of power, not to be fucked with, so to speak. Uh, He has lots of people who are loyal to him, uh, including the three current princeps. You mean patricians? Oh, yes. Sorry. The three patricians. I misspoke. The three patricians underneath Walter are uh, Mulholland, Giselle, and Algernon. They also have last names, but we'll only deal with those if we need them. So Mulholland is a fairly big shot movie producer in Hollywood. Mulholland uh, has put out several films. He is well known for his attention to gory detail in his thrillers, uh, as, you, as one might expect from a vampire. He has a rather tense relationship with Giselle, who's another one of the princeps. Uh,
2: Patricians. Sh- damn it, I said it again. Uh, <laughs> you will rarely use the word princeps. The patrician I know. The name you want to go for. Uh, yeah, so.
0: J- he had three times. Patrician, patrician, patrician. Now I just need to like spin around in a circle, and uh,
2: Beetlejuice will appear. Right? That's the.
0: I'm pretty sure I I,
1: that.
2: Yeah, uh, I never saw Beetlejuice.
1: Oh, that's a damn
0: shame. Fantastic movie.
2: It is. It is a movie.
0: Um, How dare you? <laughs> it's. It's just. Uh, it's not my thing. We are in October now, so it is spook season. Seen the answers hundred and sixty-seven times, and it keeps getting funnier every single time I see it. So, so Giselle is another one of the Patricians. Giselle is the alpha of a vampire pack a powerful one. Her beta is Molly who runs a similar establishment to what Annie runs, Amy's character. So there is some tension between Molly and uh, Annie and therefore also uh, a degree between Annie and Giselle as Molly is, is her beta in her pack. So there's some, some rivalry there. Giselle is a patrician. Her primary like rivalry is with Mulholland. They're uh, much more established. They're uh, older vampires. Giselle is the vampire who turned Soren. She was a Viking way back in the day, and she is uh, Soren's maker. So he, this is actually though the first time that they're in the same area again since then. It has been a very very long time for the two of them. Originally, I was sort of envisioning her as being like married to the governor, <laughs> but that might be going too big. And also, like I don't know who the governor of California was in the 1940s, and I don't know if I care. <laughs> um, so, so we'll say she is, she is married to some very affluent businessmen and she runs her own businesses behind that. Giselle is much more integrated into society in various ways and has historically done that. The other patrician we have in our sort of loose triangle is Algernon, Algernon Briarwood. Algernon was turned by Mulholland not that much longer ago than a uh, Duke was turned, Algernon is a fairly young vampire, uh, attained patrician status so quickly because of his known brutal methods with handling problems that periodically crop up for vampires. Walter, Walter Jean, he is the, like the princep, is the one who turned Giselle and therefore, because of the tight relationship they've had over the years, she has a very strong loyalty to him, owes him a, a major debt or two, probably. Mulholland Because of the, uh, there is a relationship between him and Giselle that we might explore in the story, but they have a bit of a rivalry in the present day. He made Algernon, and Algernon partly because of Mulholland's sort of (coughs) extension of his own status, some favoritism showed there. Algernon was able to very quickly ascend the ranks at this point in like as far as Algernon's place in the more human society. Algernon was. In the past in in his early vampire life he was a star in some silent films some silent era films he has a very attractive face and that's all you really needed for those because you don't have to say anything particularly and so algernon starred in some of those and then sort of retired from the limelight and if people ever like whenever people actually meet him they think that he's you know, oh, you look so good for your age, because it hasn't been that long since he was a star, but he sort of retired from the, pu- from the public scene after talkies were more of a thing. It is well known, though, that Algernon has diversified his interests based on the money he made then. You guys may or may not have some interaction with that. We'll decide that as we talk about how we're building your character's debts and other things. But that's sort of the lay of the power of the land. Algernon has a couple of uh, underlings uh, that are are named here on a relationship map. We have Charlie and Huxley. They might come in as important characters. Of course, there's Molly. There's also other vampires uh, underneath Giselle and Molly in that pack who might come into play. And then otherwise, the only thing we'd previously established was that Annie own, uh, owes a major debt to Soren. And if you all could just sort of
2: explain how that came about because that's sort of a fun story yeah so uh both of our vampires are kind of older both of us are i'm right at about a thousand years old by the time this starts and she's slightly older of the many places slightly I've had, by 900 years yeah, of many of the places <laughs> i was that, gonna
3: say by like, two three times yeah, yeah you know, slightly
2: by double Uh, Many of the places that I have had to move, one of them I ended up being in Scotland for a period of time. While I was in Scotland, the reason that I had moved is because I was previously in Bavaria and was the treasurer of the Illuminati. Well, the Illuminati got exposed, and the princep in England at the time offered to take me under his wing and get me out of continental Europe. Uh, And so that happened, and I moved to Aberdeen, Scotland. But on that condition, he was a sensualist and ran several sex cults in Great Britain and so he had me be the front man for one of these sex cults. Well of course Annie here is a sensualist as well and so she was all about those sex cults and it just so happened that in that sex cult at one point was John Polidori, which if that name's not familiar he kicked off the whole modern-day vampire genre of writing and because of that the uh, sex cult that I was the front man for came under suspicion because there's this guy trying to bring attention to the vampire community And then Annie comes along, and uh, later on, Bram Stoker was a frequent at the sex cult, and she uh, took a liking to Bram Stoker and encouraged him to publish Dracula. And so, as part of that, I ended up taking the fall on Annie's behalf for that, which means she owes me a major debt. And that's also how I dropped from partition to plebe while I was in Scotland, and I left Scotland because of it for New York.
0: And that's why uh, Anio's sore in a major debt because of because uh, she was Bram stroking Bram Stoker. Oh yeah! Uh, And and uh, (laughs) and a book deal came of it. So life lesson there somewhere in that you take from that what you think you should take from that.
3: Well, that was also the event that uh, had her triggered her behavior where she dropped from callous to monstrous. Because typically, with all of her partying and regular interactions with people, she was, albeit callous, but still connected. But she's a little burned by the fact that she now owes someone a major debt because of this human. They can't be trusted.
0: So let's talk about major and minor debts for everyone now. Uh, oh, so Also, yeah. quick
1: aside, mm-hmm. um, when and why was Walter Jean kicking about Chi-Town in the 20s? Yeah. So, uh, for the, uh, the reason I'm asking this is on the relationship map. Uh, Walter Jean uh, is my character's maker.
0: Mm-hmm. He is. Although he is now based in LA and has been for a long time, uh, that does not mean he always is in LA, especially since... The vampire political situation in L.A. Is fairly, has been fairly stable for you know, probably the last 50 or 60 years at least. Thanks to Walter. Yeah, th- thanks to Walter, thanks to the, the sort of tower of power he has established there. He made um, it rhyme. It did. Because, because of the good old hierarchy and this one having strong respect for the top. So I think that he was probably tending to some other, like, ventures. I think he probably was a big fan of bootlegging because he's a fan of any any vice or any activity which reveals further the the despair, like the poor nature of humans as well.
1: Oh, that explains like, how I got th- his I, eye. I think
0: he looks so poorly upon upon humans. The reason why he has not fallen to the lost state is simply because he sees the value of human as cattle yeah he uh, the, it, it, he I, ran the numbers yeah he ran the numbers i think also similar to you he's a numbers guy so walter is also probably one of the vampires who is a compulsive counter nice and that quality in him is something that he he perhaps saw some in you
1: ooh this also raises the fun question is this a compulsive counting is that vampire nature or vampire nurture in this I don't instance know. Or is it like a hereditary? We never thing? know, right? Is it the vampire hereditary? I don't who know. know. What's going on? Does he just automatically seek out people who will? Is it subconscious?
0: We don't know. And we never will. So I, I think I think perhaps you were doing some bootlegging. And there was there was a a rival hit, perhaps. And I think Walter, by turning you into a vampire. You, I think, in some ways, you think of it as saving your life or your unlife, perhaps. Oh, yeah. I think to Walter, it's more like I'm not going to lose. Like this person is useful, one of like one of the rare useful ones. <laughs> uh, they'd be even better as a vampire. And I think there might even like if if you looked into it at all, like would you have looked into like that what had happened at all, or would you have just taken revenge on them? Or
1: I think it would just been happy to be alive. Yeah. Yeah. So I he wouldn't have known the depths into into which he'd fallen until a decade or two later.
0: Yeah. Speaking of you, you were already a vampire for the First World War. Yeah. Uh, no. No. OK.
1: First World War uh, ended in 1918 and uh, he was turned dur- uh, in, uh, during Prohibition. Prohibition.
0: Yeah. Which is after. OK. You'd mentioned uh, earlier that you were, were thinking that he was in the First World War.
1: I, I, I think that with his age. Um, so he would have been in his early 20s, maybe early 30s. Uh, in, uh, w- during Prohibition. And so I, I stopped and I was like, wait a minute, math, math, math. He would have been conscription age or potentially already have served and called back into service. But either way, I'm pretty sure he wound up serving in uh, World War One Logistics and supply trains kind of thing. So he didn't see the action personally, at least not as much as the Porto boys on the front lines battling in the trenches.
0: He lived another day to just die as a bootlegger. Yeah. And a vampire yeah um, unlife is a life all its own and when you guys i i realize now did we talk about your humanity when we went over your characters um we only touched on it yeah so duke what's your what's your humanity level two he's callous Calus.
1: he's now he's nothing uh lowers your opinion of mankind than uh working with them closely in their vices and so he was approaching callous when he was human Couple decades of vampirism have not improved his opinions of humanity. I think if he lives long enough, he will easily become just as monstrous as his maker. Though, like his maker, the humans are useful because you gotta eat. Yeah. He was turned so recently that he still, almost out of habit, clings to humanity.
0: Soren, you, I
2: think, are even higher in humanity, right? I, you I'm are a three. I'm humane. You're humane. Um, and i think he's been all over the spectrum he's been long, alive long enough he's been all over the spectrum as far as that's concerned but he's humane as of late partly because of what he's done with his current cover which is a psychologist you work a lot with the prey and specifically a psychologist obviously understands the mind of humans right that's their job and so i feel like he's currently humane partly out of necessity because of his cover but partly because he it was literally his job to study the human mind and so Thinking how humans work very much changes your opinion of humanity. However, do not take that to mean that he sympathizes with the humans. We are better. We are victorious and we are better. (laughs) Uh, But he does recognize that at the very least, this is a unique sentient being. And I once was one of these unique sentient beings. And so as such, he's a little bit more friendly. With the, with the prey and being a puppet master, you you have to be friendlier with the prey. That's that's just part of, par for the course. So,
0: so Amy, uh, how about Annie? Oh, that's that's gonna be a fun one for me already. Uh oh, man, I should have thought better about letting that happen.
1: Well, uh, are you <laughs> okay, Annie?
0: <laughs> oh. You've been hit by oh goddamn it! A, oh. Smooth <laughs> a smooth criminal. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: uh, <laughs> uh, I of, don't know. 10 out of 10, 10, 10 would do again. This is not era appropriate. You're right. <laughs> oh, we're too early for Michael Jackson. We're moving who you, the whole game, guys. Who do you, we're moving the whole yeah, game. We're, we're too who early you, for rock and roll. Yeah. Man. Who
3: do you think inspired that
1: song? <laughs> <laughs> Lol. That's a bit. That's a bit. Uh,
0: a bit arrogant. Future sighting yourself there. Oh, I love that. Uh, now that is, of course, assuming you live through this game. Exactly.
2: Uh, now you could have her. Been legend Oakley. will
3: always live on.
2: That's true. Actually, yeah. At, at the very least, in Dracula's, in
0: Bram Stoker's Dracula. <laughs> that's true. uh Dracula is actually based on is a gender bent version of. <laughs> of me.
2: No, uh, they're, they've got the three uh, vampires in the castle. Well, yeah, that was a very, very, very sexually graphic encounter. Yep. Uh, it, it, it actually persists throughout interpretations you, of Dracula.
3: What makes you think that wasn't gender bent too?
2: Hey, three spicy lads. Hey, Bram Stoker be getting up to it. All right.
0: <clears throat> <laughs> anyway, <laughs> uh, so. Annie, you are monstrous, yes? Yes. Yeah, that's a one humanity level.
1: Yes. And it would be genuinely surprising for a vampire that old to be anything other. True.
0: Yes, she
3: is very old. But as as I mentioned, uh, she tended towards humane and callous for most of her und- undying life. But after Brom Stoker, she was... Very hurt, and it very much lowered her opinion of her prey, and now she sees them only as a means to an end. She
0: is monstrous. I, I gotta ask, you said that the, the, the whole thing with Bram Stoker lowered your opinion people. Was there a thing with Bram Stoker? Or, or was it something else with that situation?
3: It was something else with that situation. Okay. Yeah, he hurt someone she cared about.
0: Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. So we'll, we'll get to this in the game then. So that handles sort of the basics about the characters. With the, with the feeding grounds, I suppose we should do that. I I think instead, uh, so the, the game has the idea that you have a set feeding grounds. That like, that's like your, your territory, your turf. Me. And that's where you tend to feed. I almost would rather, for the sake of this game, take the approach of there are feeding grounds. And depending on where you go to feed, that will impact what the scarcity looks like, what the avail- like whether or not they're suspicious, et cetera, et cetera, um, some of those features of the feeding grounds, because one of the things you can do that you can spend either blood on or uh, if you have uh, enough status you can you can do is you can specifically feed in the grounds and not attract attention of, of whoever owns it or whatever. So I feel like, like... We'll play that a little bit by ear. I don't know if we need to define your guys' specific ones since it's so easy like on the fly to say, like, okay, you want to do it in this place? Well, people here are vaguely suspicious, so keep that in mind, and then like, we can sort of establish all that stuff for a particular feeding grounds at the time. So I think instead of like establishing that now for these, each character, I think we'll just sort of high-level... We'll do that when we need to. Hey, I um,
1: already intimated that my feeding grounds come to me.
0: Now, what is an important thing to establish is debts. Uh, That is our last thing. Every vampire here, you owe someone a major debt and you have at least a minor debt from someone. I think as far as for you, Soren, instead of you having a minor debt from someone, I think you have a major debt from, well, actually, correction, if that's the major debt you owe someone, then you could also have a minor debt from someone in addition to that, because like, basically, you owe someone a major, hmm. and someone owes you a minor. And we get to sort of hash that out here. And that can either be a player at the table. I, I do suggest some interplay, just to get all your worlds put
2: together a little bit. How long have you been in LA? Is it recent, or been here a while? I think it,
1: it, it'd be pretty recent, because so let's see. Turned in the 20s. Here we are almost three decades, uh, early 20s. So it's almost three decades later, and people start noticing, hey, aren't you, like, 55 now? Uh, gotta go by.
3: I was thinking maybe you owed any uh, minor debt she helped get you set up out here this was your first time transitioning
0: let's see and uh, that's looking at who or, or especially got him connected to some clients out here yeah, referred yeah so, him, someone had referred to do him
3: cl- yes, yes referred him clients he... from she she refers clients from her clientele mm-hmm. to him
2: yeah because like you know if you got one vice What's a, f-
0: what's a few more, you know?
2: <laughs> well, then I feel like maybe... Uh...
1: You're more closely connected to, to my maker. So if I owe you a major debt, how, how did that come into effect?
0: So do we like the idea that Duke owes Annie a minor debt? Yeah, okay. I like it. I will mark that.
2: Because I feel... Because I was thinking that depending on how long he was there, I owe him a minor debt for getting me from New York to L.A., even though she's the one that brought me to L.A., then i was just thinking isn't my maker here in la so she could have yes. easily been the one that got me set up in la yeah. i that's true i think it's also worth thinking about that
0: i she's not the one who invited you here that's true like I, and i think she has taken a very she generally takes a very hands-off approach to to many
2: of her this is literally the first time movie. we've seen each other since yeah. the colony collapsed you, you are
0: there. not a part of her <laughs> of her pack um, I think whatever happened between the two of you, we have not hashed that out, whatever happened in Viking land, <laughs> that you're not a part of her pack. Yeah, no. Uh, and I don't know if that's bad blood or if that was uh,
2: fine split. I think that's bad blood. Yeah. I kind of have in my mind that I hated the fact that I was turned at first, mm-hmm. uh, but came to like it, so you'd see the time period in France that may or may not come up. Uh, that's yeah. the closest I've ever been to being lost. Let's put it like that. Uh, <laughs> but... <laughs> that's the closest time France came to being lost. <laughs> I was there during the Hundred Years' War. Yeah. We'll talk about that, but I'm actually responsible for taking down Gilles de Ray, But uh, that's that may or may not come up. But I wrote a lot of backstory that probably will never come up <laughs> in this campaign because I'm that guy.
1: Guys, he seriously wrote a novella. Hey,
0: if you guys if you guys like this game enough, you know, then we'll do another one. Yeah,
1: he went hard. It was impressive, but also I was like. You know, we're doing this for one night, right?
0: One night in Bangkok. Um, and the so, no, so Duke owes Annie a minor debt. Annie owes Soren a major debt. Who owes you a minor? Who owes you a major? Or who do you owe a major to?
1: Now that is the question, because uh, which predator do you owe a major debt to? And the presumption is
0: it's talking about players, uh, not NPCs. Could be NPCs. Could be NPCs? Yes. So, so I, I would say pick something from our map mm-hmm. that makes sense to you. I think you owing a major to Walter would not be a bad. I I think
1: that's the obvious choice here because Walter not only made him when he realized he was in trouble in Chicago and had to get out before people started getting onto him for not you know being human. Yeah, he would have had to reach out to one of the few people he he knows that would know how to deal with this, and Walter Jean gets his chosen back with a major debt. I think that makes a lot of sense.
0: All right, let's do it then.
1: And as for who would owe me a minor debt, Psychologist Soren I don't think we run in a lot of the same circles
0: I do see the possibility here though of I see the potential of maybe
2: in your bootlegging days Mm -hmm. he might have got you off the hook Because even though I was operating out of New York I would have been called into Chicago a lot Criminal psychologists were not exactly a common thing in those time periods like, it's not, it's not unfeasible that that happened. Mm-hmm.
3: Not only that, it's... And that would be like a oh, minor debt.
2: especially since I established that I was on the Mafia's paybook when I was in New yeah. York. So it would be very possible I came to get you off the hook. <laughs> well, did it, who did you
1: choose for your minor debt?
2: I haven't it's, chosen yet.
1: Oh, you haven't. So you could so you could make that your, your chosen predator who owes you a minor debt. Yeah. I'm looking for who owes me.
2: Yeah. So for
0: your, somebody owes you a minor, that could be, yeah. do, are you happy with that, Duke?
1: That works. Mulholland's in the movie biz. Yes, You know what? I think he owes me a minor debt. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of people. There's a lot Ooh, of, of I like people that. in the entertainment industry that have a lot of vices, and I can get the hookup for most of those. Yeah. Especially the gambling related ones. There's a lot of people that I personally, as a human person, I've never really been big into gambling, but I know that it really just gets some people like it's horrifying what it can do. And my character Duke is all too happy to run those numbers and say let's talk so i think mulholland
0: owes him a minor because uh i got the hookup for when for what all his clients need so you owe a major to the princep and mulholland the patrician owes you a minor debt soren you owe a are owed a minor debt from duke and are owed a major debt from annie who do you owe a major debt to though
2: See, I'm trying to think what, who that would be. Back before I got to New York, there would have been several people I owed major debts to, but none of them would come into play in this story. I'm trying to think who in this story would it make sense that I owe a major debt to? We may have to create an NPC. I think that because part of my cover here in Hollywood is that I'm working with the the League of Decency as their their psychologist to judge the cultural ramifications of blah 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 whatever. Uh, that it. It's got to be somebody that hooked me up with the League of Decency, right? Oh, that was Giselle. That was Giselle. Oh, so then I then she's my maker, right? Yeah. So I think I just owe her a major debt for hooking me up with the League of Decency.
0: Nice. I I feel like I feel like there was an interaction where when you first arrived in the city, where you heard you learned that Giselle was there. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe you were a little bit miffed that Annie didn't warn tell me. you that, but also Annie maybe didn't know that Giselle was your maker, right? Yeah. So that comes out, and you sort of feel like you have to go see her you have to go talk to her and i think she is sort of surprised to see you because she would have expected you to have fallen off the vampire wagon at some point either got miserable about yourself and and either let somebody kill you or off yourself or that you would have descended into your own form of monstrousness mm-hmm. your own your own lostness instead here i come back humane at that uh. yeah uh so for for you to suddenly show up in her doorstep in la is very surprising to her and i think she gives you the connections to tie in with the league of decency i'm going to call that a major debt and why i think that works as a major debt is because as a as the playbook you are as the puppet master like giving you an organization to work with it because she, she's not only like giving you the contacts and you can like make it yourself, but even more than that, she's giving you, she's allowing you to do that in her territory. Mm-hmm. Like that's, that's a thing, right? Uh, yeah. That's definitely major. And so I think, I think that you owe her a major debt. Cool. Uh, then with all of our debts established, Amy, you look like you have something to say.
3: Yes. I just wanted to specify what Bram Stoker did was kill her child, the one and only... She was a maker, mm. and and Bram Stoker, in his research, murdered her her child.
0: Damn. I, I Well, because here's one of the things with Essentialist. With I'll add it to the Wikipedia page. Bram Stoker's a murderer. <laughs> Bram Stoker, sex cultist and murderer, <laughs> definitely did the do with vamps. <laughs> no, I, I what I like about this is this also reveals one of the things that's possible for people who are in the thrall of vampires is once if they come out of that thrall in some way oftentimes not all the time because you can do things that can make them unable to remember except maybe in horrid you know dreams or something
2: um, which is where the psychologist comes in i can help you understand those
0: dreams and make you forget all about them mm-hmm. just let me get a little nibble there get a little, get a little get a little taste but what i think what happened with bram was he was maybe in this thrall for a while. And when he came out of that, he did a good enough job of pretending like he still was that he started to learn some things about vampires. Bram Stoker, vampire hunter, anyone? Oh, yeah. He's the Van Helsing character. Mm-hmm. In book. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
3: Oh, yeah. I've, I've, been, <laughs> I've been sitting here casting people as <laughs> in this world as the characters in Bram Stoker's
0: well, excellent. So
3: he was uh, Van Helsing in his novel.
0: So all of the players are set then, I think. We're going to be 1947 Los Angeles. We'll be starting with nightly play as a series of events unfold that will leave the landscape of the city forever changed. If it's what uh, I'm thinking of. Uh, Actually, that's, that's true. Or, Or, you know, at least... It'll be fun. So let's take our break. And for you listening, we'll see you in the next episode as we kick off our game of Undying. Bye.